Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. I think many of you know at this point that every year the elders allow me uh, a week of uh, sabbatical, so it's, it's not a week off per se. I'll spend the whole week in uh, prayer and study, kind of asking God for wisdom on the kinds of things I ought to be preaching and teaching and collectively we could be doing uh, as a congregation. It's been a healthy practice for me, and uh, as a part of that, they allow me to bring in some really high-quality guest speakers. And uh, we're really excited to have Dr. Carson Reed with us today. Uh, Carson is the executive director for the Cyber Institute for Church Ministry at Abilene Christian University. And uh, I tell you, he, he would have to spend the rest of his time here today just describing all the different kinds of things they're involved in and all the ways that they help church leaders. I know that for me personally, my, uh, the way that I met Carson was through a thing called the Contemplative Ministers Initiative. So one of many things that they do is that they work with younger ministers trying to help us develop uh, healthy lives of, of prayer and devotion, keeping ourselves spiritually strong, I mean, ge- genuinely investing in the kingdom. So we really appreciate Carson and uh, his life's work and are so pleased to have him uh, with us this morning. So Carson, at this time, I'll turn it over to you. And again, thank you for uh, being with us. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, church. Uh, I'm not sure about the high-quality speaker part, so we'll, uh, let's, let's lower the expectations down just a little bit. Now, it's a real joy to be with, uh, with you uh, today. I've had an opportunity to be with your uh, elders and staff yesterday, and what a great uh, group of leaders you have here at King's Crossing. I want to commend them to you and ask that you continue to pray for your elders, your staff, and the work that goes on uh, with their leadership and their care uh, for this congregation and for this city, the city of Corpus Christi. Um, Several years ago, uh, the Army uh, Board developed a little thing they called VUCA. If I can remember, it's an acronym like uh, many government programs. We've got lots of acronyms, right? Uh, Volatility uh, is one of the things. V... And then uncertainty, C for complexity, and four, ambiguity. These four things, they were saying, is the kind of environment we're living in. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And this is long before pandemic, right? (laughs) Are those the things that we're wrestling with so much of the time, it seems? especially as we navigate our way out of these days that we call a pandemic, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. There was a wrestler by the name of James Quick. He was from T- Tulsa, Oklahoma. Back in the, about 30 years ago, he, made, he was about to make his way into the big time uh, as a, uh, actually as a, a boxer. And he made his way to Chicago, the windy city where he was about to make his big debut debut. And he came in on a bus with two cardboard suitcases, he said. He walked down the main streets of Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower, dropped his two little suitcases down and looked up at that tower and said, I'm going to take you, Chicago. And then he reached back down and his suitcases were gone. (laughs) That's the sort of uncertainty we're living in, right? Just Boom, something disappears, something changes for us. 
There was back in the 1830s in Italy a man who visited a doctor. He was feeling unwell. He was exhausted. He was anxious. He was depressed. He couldn't sleep at night. He wouldn't talk to his friends. He goes to the doctor. The doctor checks him all out, listens to his heart, does all this stuff, and finally the doctor just says to him, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with you. I said, I tell you what you need to do, sir. I, you need to go to the circus. There's a circus on the edge of town. You need to go to the circus and you need to laugh a while. You need to go to the circus and see this great clown that's performing at the circus. His name is Grimaldi. And if you just watch Grimaldi and have a good laugh, you'll feel so much better. And the man's going, no, 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 I'm Grimaldi. <laughs> right? Are you tracking with me? This ambiguity, uncertainty, not sure what's going on. One of my favorite movies was made from a novel by Winston Groom called Forrest Gump. You may remember it. Tom Hanks, yeah? It's a great film. There's a poignant, there's many poignant scenes in that movie, but one of the poignant scenes is when Forrest Gump and his girlfriend Jenny, remember Jenny, and they go out to Jenny's home place. And they walk up the gravel drive out in the middle of nowhere, and the house now is abandoned, leaning, caved-in roof. And Jenny, with all of the abuse of her childhood and the brokenness of her family, looks at that broken-down house and just begins to weep. And then in that moment of absolute frustration, yanks off her shoes and throws her shoes at the house. And then she grabs up rocks and she's throwing rocks at the house until she just falls down in a heap, collapsed, all that midst of that pain and suffering. And then Forrest Gump bends over and says, Jenny, sometimes there's just not enough rocks to throw. This is the world that we inhabit, it seems to me, a world that's characterized with where there's just not enough rocks to throw, where we find ourselves weeping sometimes in doctor's offices, and we're asking, where in the world is our suitcase? We find ourselves living in the brokenness and fragility of life. And I want to ask, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate that as people of God? Well, the text that Mark read for us a few moments ago, I think might have a word for us. Paul certainly knows what it's like to lose your suitcase or to look for a rock, to live with buka, volatility, and all that that I've mentioned. He notes, he says, look, I've been afflicted. I've been perplexed. I've been persecuted. I've been struck down. And we go, yeah, Paul, we're with you. We get it. We get it. Yes. But here's the thing for Paul. Paul is able to make the claim that we identify with so clearly. We're afflicted, but he says, we're not crushed. Mm. He says we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
And I want to say, Paul, how was it that you're navigating VUCA? All the volatility, all the ambiguity, all the complexity. How, how, how do you do this? How do you do this, Paul? How do you do it? Because with the old psychiatrist M. Scott Peck, he, we say the life is difficult and we, we are struggling with how to do this thing. Well, Paul would say to us, as he notes there a little earlier in the text, he's got a secret. He knows something that we actually know too, but sometimes we forget, but he's announcing it to us, he's declaring it to us, and I'm declaring it as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to you today. Listen up. We, we are kind of like clay pots in the kitchen of life. And that's to remind us that the real treasure, the real power belongs to, help me out church, to, to God and not to us. Hmm. Paul's secret is that he recognizes that human frailty is a part of the reality of life But the good news is that interior to us and around us is the reality that God is present with us and through us. You see, our challenge, our problem is that we tend to think about our problems more than the solutions. We focus in on the problem. We focus always, we're always looking at the problem. Ah, what am I going to do? Here's this thing. It's it's an age-old problem. We can go all the way back into the Old Bible, to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17, let's say. And there's the people of Israel, the army of Israel, up on one hillside, looking down into a valley and across the valley at the army of the Philistines. Do you remember this story? And down every day, here comes this big, oversized NFL football player by the name of Goliath. And uh, he ambles down and stands near a brook and looks up at those Israelites and says, come down here, let's go one-on-one, and we'll just kind of settle this. And all of Israel's armies are up on the hillside, quivering in their sandals. All they can do is see Goliath. All they can do is see the trouble. And here comes... David, right? This teenage boy is the way we imagine him, right? He hasn't even got a beard yet. And here he is. He shows up with a little load of stuff from the family uh, farm uh, for his brothers. And he's going, what's going on? Well, look, it's Goliath again. That's no problem. I'll take him on. You crazy. You remember this dialogue, right? And uh, finally, they keep pressing him, and, and, and his answer is classic. He says, I'm not worried about this, because I believe in the Lord, the Lord who delivered me as a shepherd, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will certainly deliver me from the hands of that, and since this is a G-rated location, I'm not going to tell you fully what he says, but... He says, he'll take care of this guy too. You remember this story? This is the reality of people who have a vision like Paul. They don't see the problem, they see the possibility. They see the ways in which God can act 
decisively, significantly, triumphantly, even in upside-down situations. Years ago, uh, as Mark said, I spent 30 years in congregational ministry. I was working, I worked with uh, a couple of churches in Indianapolis, Indiana for 20 years. And one of the elders there, a friend of mine, one of those churches was a bicyclist. Not the kind of bicyclist that would run, you know, around the city block or the neighborhood, the kind of one who would bicycle across Indiana, you know, from one side to the other, 150 miles a day, a real bicyclist. And uh, I said to him one day, I said, how do you do it? And he says, how do you do what? How do you ride down these highways and byways of our state and not hit potholes? Now, I've noticed in Corpus Christi, you guys don't have potholes. <laughs> but in Indiana, they do, right? Uh, and I said, Lynn, how do you do that? He says, when I'm out riding my bike, I seem to always end up in the pothole. And he says, silly man, silly man. He says, you don't look at the pothole. You look at where you want the bicycle wheel to roll. Oh, and you know he's right. My son, who's an active uh, army officer, has pressed me to become a motorcyclist. And so uh, to get a motorcycle license, I had to learn this one single thing. This is very deeply ingrained in my psyche. You look where you want to go. So I'm saying to you, church, our critical move here, listening to Paul, is we've got to pay attention not to the problem, but to the, the, the solution. We look not to the problem, but to the power of God. And we look through our prayer and through our attentiveness to his goodness and grace and ask, where does our help come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. So how do we live in such a life? We live a hopeful life. What do we do? How do we do that? Well, a couple, three things emerge from this text. <clears throat> One of them, it seems to me, is that we've got to sort of reorder our life <clears throat> to, to think, to change our, our thinking from life should be easy to the reality that life is, in fact, a difficult thing. We shouldn't be surprised when we come up against potholes, right? We shouldn't be surprised that we find ourselves dealing with ambiguity and complexity and all those other things. And so what disposition do we take? Well, this is the first thing I want to say. I want to suggest that we take a disposition of relinquishment about life we take up the disposition of being persons who are, live our lives kind of like Jesus did. Paul will say it this way. He will say, I always carry around with me the dying Jesus, a sense of relinquishment, of letting go, of being God's person, right? I always carry around the disposition of the dying Jesus so that the living Jesus might be seen in my life. And it's that living Jesus that we demonstrate to other people. But that takes uh, this notion of, of relinquishment, of, of letting go, and that we're, we will face some hard things. And sometimes, sometimes in our hard things, good things emerge. Now, this, this lesson came to me some years ago visiting a friend of mine who runs a, a bed and breakfast in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He has this uh, Spanish adobe uh, estate and out on the back patio when he bought it 20 years ago, there was an old wisteria bush that sort of sprawled itself over a patio, which is shade's kind of a nice thing. 
places like Albuquerque or Corpus Christi, but it was about dead. And he went to the, the garden shop, talked to some people who were knowledgeable about horticulture, and they said, here's what you do to that thing. They said, Lee, you take an ax and you whack around on the root on that thing, and it'll come back to life. Right? Stress it and see what happens. So he did. And Sure enough, that old, nearly dead wisteria began to grow and grow again. And the last time I was there, which wasn't last summer, because <laughs> I was home like everybody else, but I hope to see it this summer again, because it was growing, growing, growing the last time I saw it. Sometimes our, the stresses in our life actually help us move forward and be more resilient and more trusting in the Lord and learning what it means to live with the dying Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be seen in us. A second frame that I think might be helpful for us in this is to recognize that God actually uses us even in our fragility and our brokenness. That even when we find ourselves kind of cracked and busted, that God can use us. There's an old legend told about two pots Two pots that were tied with a rope and up on a, a wooden uh, frame that a servant would carry from the house down to the river each day to gather water for the household. One pot was whole and complete. Another one was cracked. And day after day, the servant would gather water, go up the hill, and by the time he got to the house, one pot of water was full. The other pot was half empty. And after a couple of years of this, the cracked pot cried out to the servant and said, I am so sorry. And the, cra- the servant said, why are you so sorry? And the cracked pot said, well, every time we get to the top of the hill, I failed you. I've leaked out half of my water. And the servant said, you silly pot. I want you to notice the next time we go up the hill. And all the way, as they made their way from the river that next day to the top, the cracked pot noticed that there were flowers growing all the way up the path. And the servant said, you see, you silly pot, I knew you were cracked, and I put that crack to good use. I planted seeds, and now every day you water those plants, those beautiful flowers, and those beautiful flowers grace the master's table. God can use even our fragile and cracked places to do good things. That's why we have this treasure in clay jars, so that the transcendent power can be seen that it belongs to God and not to us. And then a third thing that I think would be good for us to reflect on as we remember that deep truth that Paul is teaching And that is this, that God can do great things even when things get screwed up in our lives. That God can do powerful things when we find our lives all messed up. There's a leading jazz trumpeter by the name of Wynton Marsalis. Anybody know this guy? I mean, he is, he's the cat's meow. I mean, he's great. About 15 years ago, he was doing a little concert jazz trumpeter. He's doing a little concert up in New York City in a small little venue, not a big auditorium, but a small little venue with just a little ensemble, two, three other players, three other players, I believe it was. And a little group, just two, three hundred people gathered in this little club. 
And uh, he does a few sets, and then he dismisses the band and comes out to the front of the stage, and this plays a solo piece. And he plays an old ballad that's, uh, I had to go looking to, f- to find this some years ago. It- it's an old song called, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. You'd have, to, you'd have to be contemporary with Bing Crosby to know this song. But nonetheless, or a jazz aficionado, right? So he, he plays this song, I Don't Stand the Ghost of a Chance with You, and he evokes all of the pain and the anguish of this loss in this song. The place is enraptured, one soloist playing masterfully. And as he, about, as he just is about to end the song, I Don't stand a ghost of a chance before he can play the last two notes somebody's cell phone goes off in the audience and of course as these things go the guy can't get it closed quick enough so we hear it again and the guy of course makes his way out and the audience is just it, the magic has been broken right You've been there. And, uh, and the audience is, oh, oh, gasping. But interestingly, David Hodge, who's writing about this, says, Marsala stands perfectly motionless on the stage. And then everybody settles down. And then Marcellus, note for note, plays that same stupid, silly tune. Eh, 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 eh. Nailed it. People kind of laughed. He plays it again. And then he starts riffing arpeggios off of it. And he begins to improvise with it, as only a master jazz player could do. Right? And after he plays with it for several minutes, he transitions from one chord into another chord or into another key and then to another key and then comes right back into the same key as the song was and then plays with you. The audience just erupted, right? They, they, they stood up and cheered. It was a, one of those moments where you see a master doing remarkable, amazing work. And I'm telling you that to say, church, that is the kind of God we serve. He can take our brokenness, our busted stuff, our cracked pots, our our burdens, and turn them into something new. In fact, I want to say to you, this is not God's first pandemic, right? Right? This is not God's first pandemic. God has been doing great stuff. He's been taking nothing and doing something for a long, long time. Maybe since maybe creation, right? Since, since Sarah, the old woman, suddenly gives birth. Since Ezekiel found himself in a valley of bones and he turns them to life. Since, as we celebrated last week, taking a dead person and bringing them back to life by rolling a stone away, I'm saying to you, church, even though we may at times run out of rocks to throw, there is somebody who still moves stones. And that is the God that I am announcing today and inviting you 
to renew your faith and hope and commitment to. Hey, we're going to stand and sing a song in just a moment. And uh, it's a time I'm inviting you to be prayerful about your own life and your call to live a life that focuses on the possibilities of God and not your problems. And if there's a way in which the leaders of this church, elders or staff could be helpful to you, I'm going to invite you to seek them out this morning. Let's stand together and respond to the Lord by the way we sing this song.